Would you turn in your Bibles to the book of Ephesians, chapter 1? Lord, we ask that you would speak to us now through your word. God, I pray that the words that I speak today would come from you and be be your word to your people. And Lord, I pray again today that we would come to know you better, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Ephesians 1, verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly places with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to God. Worship be to God. Glory be to God. Honor be to God. Praise be to God. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly places with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Praise be to this God. We are beginning our, our series on steadfast worship. If you haven't already, please pick up um, our curriculum for the fall. Um, our small groups are going to be going through this together, and we'll be speaking on this characteristic that God has um, has given to us as a church. One of the, the characteristics that uh, help us to make disciples of Jesus and to help us express our discipleship to Jesus, he has made us a people of steadfast worship. A few years back, there were four key characteristics that our, our elders discerned and uh, were affirmed by our congregation. They are steadfast worship, healing community, uncommon unity, and faithful witness. And each fall, we've been looking at one of these in, in, in more depth and hoping that we would be shaped to be more faithful to this calling that God has given to us. Under the theme of steadfast worship, we have uh, this little byline, this description of what we mean by that, that we serve a faithful God who never fails us. His steadfast love draws us to steadfast worship. What I want you to notice here is that the ad adjective steadfast describes God first. If we are steadfast in any way, it is only because of his steadfast love for us first. Everything begins with God, with his faithfulness to us, with his steadfast love that flows out from him by making us and revealing himself to us and saving us. And as we come to know him and experience his steadfast faithfulness, his steadfast love, we respond to him with steadfast worship. So this adjective steadfast is an adjective that first describes God and only secondly describes us as a community. We want to worship God always and continually and forever in a steadfast way, always and continually and forever, because his faithfulness and love for us is always and continually and forever. Amen. So worship, I want to say first, is a response to God. It's a response to God. When we come to know who God is, when we come to understand what he has done for us, the only proper and fitting response is to worship. 
is to acknowledge his value, his glory, to acknowledge who he is, to recognize what he has done for us, and to respond by offering our attention, our praise, our love, our bodies, our actions, our voices, our thoughts, our decisions, offering all of that back to him in worship. Romans 12.2 says, Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Worship is the only proper and fitting response to who God is and what he has done for us. Praise be to God, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every blessing, spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. Ephesians 1, I'm going to read verses 3 through 14. Praise be to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. And listen to all these spiritual blessings that he then lists. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. And he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment, to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. I can't wait for that day. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession, to the praise of his glory. These uh, 12 verses, all one very long sentence in Greek, give a very careful description, an articulated list of many of the blessings that God has given to us. Adoption, that we're chosen, The word of salvation has been made known to us. We've been given redemption, forgiveness, that we were made for the praise of God, that we were marked with a seal, that we were let into the mystery of God's will, that we were given the Holy Spirit, and many more that are listed in this beautiful description of the spiritual blessings that we experience in Christ. We are not going to unpack all of these today. Each one of them could certainly be a sermon series all on their own. But I want to pause here for a moment, and I want to ask you, as you see these blessings on the screen, or as you've read them here in Ephesians 1, 3 through 14, Which of these spiritual blessings do you most enjoy? 
Which one do you most understand in your heart? Which of these blessings that God has given to you do you feel like you've received with the whole heart? Just take a minute to be quiet. And we're going to have a few times today where we sit and reflect. And this is one of those moments. Just sit for a moment and just to ask, which of these spiritual blessings that you have received in Christ, which of them do you most understand and enjoy? And would you just praise God for it? Praise be to you, God. Worship be to you, God. Honor and glory be to you, God. Because of these blessings and many, many, many more that you have given us through Christ, I pray that you would make us a people of steadfast worship, continual and always and forever worship because of these spiritual blessings that you continually and always and forever pour out on us. Lord, may we receive them with worship and thanksgiving today. Amen. Praise be to God for what he has done for us. Amen. But not only praise God for what he has done, we also worship God very simply for who he is. We want to be a people of steadfast worship because we are people who know God, who know who he is. To be a community of people who know God, to be a people who of steadfast worship because we know him and we love him. And so for the rest of this sermon this morning, and then for the next few weeks, we're going to focus on the nature of God. We're going to hear about who God is. Not only about what he has done for us, although that certainly will come out, but who God is. Because if God never did any of these things for us, he would still be worthy of our worship. Full stop. What's also true is that because of God, who God is, because of his nature, these things overflow from him to us. But he is worthy of our worship because of who he is. And so we're going to spend the rest of our time this morning talking about what it means for us to worship the Trinity, the triune God, the one God who is forever three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. For some people, the teaching of the Trinity can feel frustrating, confusing, esoteric, empty, distant, even illogical. How can three be one and one be three, right? And one of the reasons that the teaching of the Trinity can be, feel that way is because we've often approached the Trinity as a puzzle to be figured out, as something that we are to get to the bottom of. And so many people have tried to come up with analogies for us to better understand the Trinity. You've probably heard of some of them before, how the Trinity is like one egg that has three different parts, you know, the shell and the white and the yolk, or like water, how water comes in three different forms, vapor and liquid and gas, or like a three-leaf clover, or like the sun that has the body of the sun that then emanates its heat and its light. You've heard these analogies before in one way or another, right? Okay. These analogies are all offered as a way to help us try to figure out the Trinity. And all of them eventually fall short in one way or another of accurately describing God. And no wonder, because we're talking about God. So we're never going to have a perfect analogy here in this temporary, finite world 
to the nature of God. The Trinity is not something we get to the bottom of. It's not something that we figure out or solve. Trinity is the nature of the God that we worship. The Trinity is the nature of the God who created you and who saved you and who is redeeming you and all things. It is his nature. And last night, I was feeling a little bit stuck as I was thinking about the doctrine of the Trinity. I can sometimes, when I think about the Trinity, and certainly as I've been thinking about how to teach on the Trinity, a lot of, I can start to feel very paralyzed trying to keep all of my thoughts about God in order and to make sure that I use the right words and that sort of thing. And so as I was feeling this way last night, I asked Katie, Katie, when you think about the Trinity, what word comes to mind? And because I was in the, the kind of stuck state that I was in, I was looking for a bit of sympathy, thinking that maybe she would say, oh, like confusing or incomprehensible or something like that. That's not what she said. Katie, when you think about the Trinity, what word comes to mind? And she immediately said, happy. And of course she did because she's a wonderful person. Happy. I tell that story to make a bit of a distinction here between talking about the doctrine of the Trinity, the teaching about the Trinity, and knowing and worshiping the Trinity. The doctrine of the Trinity, the church's teaching about the triune God is wonderful and glorious and deep and rich and precise and it has guarded the church for centuries from false ways of thinking about God. And if this week, if you want to sit down over, the co over coffee and talk about the doctrine of the Trinity, if you want to get out the Athanasius Creed with me, I would be glad to do that with you. And to think about the beauty, and the glory, the majesty, the truthfulness of the doctrine of the Trinity as it has been passed down to us through the scriptures and through the church. But today in the next few weeks, we are going to not talk about the doctrine of the Trinity, the teaching of the Trinity proper. Instead, I want us to think about what it means for us to know and to worship the God who is Trinity. The one God that we worship is and has made himself known to us as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And at the end of this sermon and at the end of this series, I hope that when you think of the Trinity, the word that will come to your mind will be something like happy. Something like an experience of joy and affection and satisfaction. Because you better know today the God who made you and who loves you and who is redeeming you. God, in God's own nature, is full of love and joy. In his own being is full of love and joy. Today, as we were singing, there was this line, God, you have no rival. And there's something, I don't know, maybe it's just me, but it seems to me that there is something that Broadway particularly likes about singing that line. There's a little bit of extra oomph that we give when we sing, God, there is no rival. There is no equal to you. 
And friends, the gods of the other religions are not triune. The God of Islam, Allah, is solitary. Forever and ever, Allah lives in solitary existence. There are many gods in Hinduism, and some of them may be happy. Some of them may be full of joy and love, but there are many of them. And so there is always this tension and war and battle between them and the gods according to Hinduism. In a philosophy like Buddhism, the energy or force that grounds all of reality is not personal at all. It is an it. It does not have personality or preference and therefore does not experience love or joy. But the triune God, the God that we worship, the one true God, is different than that. The triune God that the Bible teaches us about has forever lived in love and joy between the relations of the three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the Bible teaches that it was because of the overflow of that love and joy that he created you, that he created all that you see. And one of the ways that you can imagine your own salvation, the reason that he saved you, is that God is inviting you to be caught up in the love and the joy of his divine life, of his being. The reason Katie said happy is because she imagines God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit as being happy, and she knows that God has invited her into that happiness. That is our salvation to be invited into the love and joy and satisfaction of the divine life that God has experienced, is experiencing, will experience forever, and that he invites us to join into. So I just want to pause and let you contemplate that for a moment. That God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is always and continually and forever overflowing with love and with joy. Let's contemplate that for a couple minutes in silence. We give you praise today for who you are as a God who is ever and always overflowing with love and joy, pours into our lives so that we may experience it too. In Ephesians 1, 13 through 14, or 3 through 14, we're given these many spiritual blessings that Paul describes. And what I want to finish with today is to say that none of these blessings are possible if God is not Trinity. None of these blessings are possible if God is not Trinity. God could not and would not give any of these blessings if he were a solitary being like Allah or just one of the many gods in Hinduism or an impersonal force that is imagined in Buddhism. It is only because God is who God is, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that these blessings are made available to us. God either could not or would not give these blessings to us if God's nature was something other than Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so what I want to do today is to take one of these blessings and show how God's triune nature 
makes that blessing possible for us to receive and experience. Got it? Take one of these blessings and talk about how the triune nature of God makes this blessing possible for us to experience and to receive. I'm going to look at adoption. And this is the easiest one. (laughs) One of the spiritual blessings that we've received in Christ is that we have been adopted. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. That's what 1 John says. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us. Do you hear that overflowing experience of the love of God? How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we would be called children of God, and that is what we are. If God's nature was not triune, if God was something other than Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, then true adoption, becoming children of God, would not be possible. It is a part of the nature of God to extend the blessing of adoption to us. This is Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. Paul writes this. When the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. The first thing I want you to notice here in Galatians 4 is that all three persons of the Trinity are present and active here in offering this blessing to us. Did you notice that? Verse 4, God the Father sent the Son to redeem us so that we could enjoy the full rights as sons. In verses 4 through 5, the Son is born to accomplish redemption for us. In verse 6, the Scripture tells us that God sent the Spirit of the Son into our hearts. What does that mean? What it means is that adoption is not just a declaration, but a reality that we experience and know and enjoy in our hearts. In the deepest place of who we are, we can know that we are adopted. We're not only declared sons by God, but we have been given by the Spirit the experience of being God's son. God sent the Spirit of the Son into your heart so that you, by that Spirit, can cry out, Abba, this intimate Name for dad, daddy, Abba, father. Because of the spirit in you, you can have that kind of intimate relationship with the father. Father, son, and spirit all working in perfect harmony and in cooperation so that you and I can receive and experience the reality of our adoption, the reality that we are children of God. And being adopted is not only a metaphor, it's an invitation again into a divine reality. As Katie said, the Trinity makes me think happy because I know God is happy and he wants to invite me into his happiness. In a similar sort of way, God, in God exists fatherhood and sonship. And God wants to invite us into that same relationship so that we also experience in his own life fatherhood and sonship. God did not become a father at some point. God always has been father. God did not become a father when Jesus was born. 
Fatherhood and sonship have always been a part of God's eternal and forever and unchanging nature. The Father and the Son have always and forever enjoyed one another in the life of the spirit of love that exists between them as father and sons. So hear this. This is the good news. It is this eternal relationship of God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit that God is letting us into. It is this eternal relationship that God has always enjoyed within his triune nature that God is making available to us through the gift of adoption. God is filled with overflowing love and joy, and that love and joy overflows into our broken and orphaned lives. And he says to us, come and enjoy the sonship that has existed forever in me. The divine energy or impersonal force of Buddhist philosophy cannot and would not ever do that because it is not personal. It does not have personality. It does not have affection. There may be many, some gods in the pantheon of Hindu gods. I don't know that much about Hinduism, but maybe gods that adopt people into their family. But because there are many, that means there are many different houses. And so whatever... God, I've been adopted into, you've been adopted into a different house. Promotes disunity rather than unity. Some Muslims may consider themselves to be children of God, but Allah has not invited them into his divine nature by doing so. In the Muslim conception of God, there is no fatherhood. There is no sonship that eternally exists. And in order to adopt children, it would have to be in some sort of metaphorical way or by analogy. Allah We have to become something different than what he is in order to adopt children. But the triune God is father by nature. And so by his nature, he then extends his fatherhood to you. The Trinity is good news, friends. It's the gospel. The good news of adoption is truly possible because within the eternal nature of the triune God, fatherhood and sonship, already are. And the divine spirit of love that exists between the Father and the Son, it always has been and is right now and always will be because God is a steadfast Father who invites you to be his child. Adoption is the natural blessing and overflow of God's life. Fatherhood and sonship pour out into our lives. And we're invited into that relationship, invited into the affection and intimacy of God's own life that we get to then cry out, Abba, Father, just as Jesus did. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly places with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Praise be to God. Praise be to God. Worship be to God. Glory and honor be to this God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So I want to leave you with a question for you to contemplate again now and into the next week. Think about that blessing that you thought about first, that one blessing that you feel like you know with your whole heart. 
What is it about God's triune nature that makes that blessing a natural overflow from the life and nature of God into your life? What is it about forgiveness or being holy and blameless or about you getting to know the word of salvation? What is it about God's nature, who he is as this being that overflows with love and joy that makes that blessing, this natural overflow into your life and into mine? Spend some time contemplating that now. If the worship team could come on forward and then we will uh, sing and take communion together.